0: The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect.
1: Our scripture reading this evening is from Acts 6-8 through 7-2 and seven fifty one through 8-2. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing, what, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Hey guys, how we doing? Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Hey God, thanks for who you are, that you love us, that like we sung about, it's not about us, it's not about our performance, but it's about you and what you've done on your behalf, that we get to rest in what you've done for us on the cross. Yeah, thanks that you are enough and we don't have to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, if we haven't met, my name is Cole Simpson. Excited to get to be with you guys tonight. I'm on staff here at Citizens. Uh, My wife, Bethany, and I actually moved here in May of last year to help start this little Jesus-centered family on mission with him. And it's been a really, really cool experience, and I owe a lot of that to you guys. When we moved, it was just the two of us. Uh, We were the only ones here that wasn't already living in Charlotte, and now I think it's something like 25 people have moved from places like Columbia and Louisville and Charleston because they care about the gospel and the kingdom of God expanding. So that's just been a really cool thing to be a part of and to watch how God has worked in that through our little baby church plant. So I'm excited to get to be with you guys tonight and excited to get to preach what we're preaching yeah, always get to love to talk about people dying on Valentine's Day. That's kind of what we're, what we're going for. Um, no, but seriously, happy Valentine's Day. Excited that you guys are here. Uh, appreciate you being here when it's raining and, you know, February 14th. I'm sure we all had other plans. At least I did. Um, so, yeah, appreciate you being faithful. Uh, I know that for some of us, at least uh, I've talked to people where Valentine's Day is a very difficult day for different reasons, whether it's been Because they've lost someone or because of expectations not being what they wanted them to be. So I really appreciate you being here regardless. I appreciate you and appreciate you taking the time. So, with all that said, tonight we're going to continue in our book of Acts. So, Tim, last week we left off in Acts 3, and we're skipping today to Acts 6. So, I'm just going to catch you up on kind of what happened on the in between. So, in Acts 4, Peter and John basically get arrested for preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. The high priest doesn't like it, so they take them to jail. And Peter kind of has this conversation where the officials say, you need to stop preaching about this Jesus. And Peter responds with this idea of, hey, you do what you got to do, but we're going to do what we have to do. We have to keep preaching the gospel despite what you will do to us. And so they beat them and flog them and they let them go, and then people come to know Jesus as they continue to preach the gospel. And then Acts 5 is basically the same story. Some crazy things happen with people giving and all that stuff, but then again, people are arrested, they are flogged, they are released, they celebrate that they got to be persecuted like Jesus, and God continues to add on to their day. And so that's kind of where we're at when we get to Acts 6. And so in Acts 6, when we walk in to this Story or this narrative, up to this point, uh, if you just want to imagine the city, Jerusalem is about 50,000 people, all in all. That's kind of what scholars would say. And in the course of about a year or a little bit less, the Christianity movement has gone from 120 people to 12,000 people. So in Acts 6, Uh, Six months ago, there was nobody, 120 people, and now one out of every four people professes to be a Christian. And so what happens is some grumbling and divisiveness starts to happen within the church and people start to say, you guys aren't taking care of your poor. You're not taking care of your widows and orphans. And so the apostles get together and decide we need to raise up some leaders to start taking care of these people that we need to be caring about. And so they appoint these seven men, these seven deacons, and God will use that to, through the life of this man called Stephen, actually spread the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Because Stephen understands that the gospel, his life, is not about him, and he is willing to sacrifice and suffer on God's behalf. So that's kind of what happens in Acts 6. So we're going to get started in verse 8, and then we'll go from there starting in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So this is actually a transition in the book of Acts. And so I actually kind of geeked out about this. We'll see it again in Acts 8. But Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is actually saying, and Stephen is going to change the way that the church was for the rest of history. Because of Stephen, because of what Stephen is about to do, We as believers, we as the church, will never be the same. And so what is happening is Stephen has been, he's one of these seven deacons that has been appointed of the 12,000, and they're over taking care of the poor and the widows and the orphans and making sure that they're getting food and taken care of. And what's happening is we start to see priests and Pharisees come to know Jesus in great number. And this kind of ties in with what Tim even talked about last week, is this idea of as they went out and spoke in word and deed, priests started to see how they loved each other and started to come know Jesus because of it. Because if you know a little bit of history, what happened is priests were over taking care of the poor and the widow. That was their job. And so they start to see this Christianity movement start to take care of these people that they couldn't take care of. And they start to realize because of this, because of what they're doing, that these people are actually different. They have something different than what they had and start to come to know Jesus. And then as that starts to happen, the Pharisees start to get frustrated. They start to get angry about what is occurring. The religious leaders start to kind of get their feathers ruffled because they're saying, why are these guys coming to know Jesus? Why is this guy preaching to these people? What's going on? And so they actually are going to Give false witness, like we read about, to Stephen. They're going to lie about him so they can get him out of the way, and God's going to use that to actually spread his gospel. So let's read verse 9 through 7 1. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, "'We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God.' And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, "'This man will never cease to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this is Jesus of Nazareth, will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us.' And gazing at him... All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? So what happens is these guys bring Stephen in, and he's kind of sitting before the Supreme Court, and people are lying about him. Similar to Jesus, right? They're lying about what he has done, and they're saying, This guy is bearing false witness, and Stephen knows that this could lead to his death. And so what is Stephen's response to? What is his defense to these people lying about him? He preaches a sermon. A sermon very similar to the sermon that Peter has preached multiple times. He preaches a sermon that basically goes like this. Your fathers missed the point. They didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand what God was actually trying to do. They missed it with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, the law. They never understood what Jesus was doing. You missed the point. God incarnate walked with you. He walked beside you and you didn't understand who he was and what he was doing. You need to repent. That's this whole sermon. Basically, they were wrong, you were wrong, and now repent, be better, basically. Super, super great. And let's read about how uh, eloquent this is. I just love how uh, the Bible just doesn't make anything up. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people... Uncircumcised in heart and, and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So that's Stephen's response. That's how he responds to these people saying, Hey, you're lying. He says, Actually, you're lying. And you've never gotten it. And you're totally missing the point. And then let's see how they respond. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. What an image. Ground their teeth at him. I'm just so angry. So angry at you. (laughs) Keep reading. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the Spirit gazed... No, read that, sorry. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they don't care, right? Verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stomped their ears and rushed together at him. So, I mean, literally, they're literally covering their ears and grinding their teeth and stomping their feet and saying, we're unwilling to listen to the gospel. And then basically they take him out and they stone him. That's the story. That's Stephen's story. Stephen calls them to repentance. They don't care. They respond by stoning him. They drag him out of the city. They hurl stones at his body. He ends by saying, please don't, please forgive them. They know not what they do. Basically, he utters the words that Jesus uttered on the cross, begging God to forgive his accusers. So how does this beautiful story on Valentine's Day in February 14th, 2021 apply to us? What does that have to do? Great story. Guy died. He really cared. Why does that matter today in Charlotte? So I've got two points. Uh, They're pretty simple, and we'll just kind of go through those, starting with number one. You may not be called to be a martyr, but you are called to give your life. You may not be called to be a martyr, but you are called to give your life. Good. This is great. So, most likely, for most of us in Charlotte, North Carolina, you're probably not afraid of dying for your faith. At least I'm not. Maybe one day that will change. We kind of debated this in teaching team that maybe one day in America that won't be true. We won't have that freedom. But today, I think it's pretty safe to say that we're fine. We're probably not dying today because we're Christians. Now, some of us may be persecuted. We may be missionaries overseas. This definitely is a category. Most statisticians would say that eight people a day are killed for believing in Jesus. So people are definitely still martyred for the gospel. But for most of us in this room, at least not currently, is something we are facing. So how does it have to do with us? Well, Regardless of what we are facing, the calling that was given to Stephen is given to us as well. We are called to give our lives. We are called to pick up our cross daily, like Jesus talked about in Matthew 16, this idea of your life is not about you. You need to pick up your cross. You need to sacrifice and live for God every day and continue to do that regardless of whether your life is actually on the line or not. And one of the things that really hits me about this passage is kind of the humility of Stephen. And so what what I mean by that is, So all we know about Stephen is there are 12 apostles. They're leading this huge movement of 12,000 people, right? They're doing a pretty good job. Maybe they could be doing better, but they're doing a pretty good job. And then people start to grumble and complain and saying, you're not doing enough. And so these 12 guys get in a room and they say, we need help. We need somebody else to help do this thing that we don't have the time to do. And they think of Stephen, Stephen is one of seven names that comes to mind out of 12,000. So what does that tell us about him? It tells us that he probably stands out, right? He probably is highly gifted. He's got some gifting and wiring. It stands out more than maybe just anyone in the crowd. And he probably has very, very high character if they're willing to put him on a pedestal and say, these are one of the seven new guys that you should follow. It tells us that Stephen is probably pretty important. Stephen is probably pretty impressive. So they bring these seven guys into a room, and this is the job they give them. They say, so we really need you to uh, organize some food trains and uh, maybe be a waiter. That's, That's what we want you to do. You're really impressive. You're really, like, you're one of our best. And so we would love if you could start doing these things that, Uh, We don't have time to do. Just make sure that this food gets delivered. Make sure you can serve these people. That's it. That's the job. That's the amazing job because Stephen is so gifted that they give to him. And for me, as I was reading this, it was really convicting because I I like to think that I would have responded like Stephen does with this. Like, of course, absolutely, it's not about me. I'm going to do it for sure. And maybe I would have in the beginning. I think in the beginning, you know, pretty cool. Seven people out of 12,000, like, I matter. Um, but then, after, like, I'm performing miracles and healing people and, like, Pharisees and priests start to come to know Jesus because of me, I think I probably would have met with the apostles and been like, all right, guys, I think, uh, I think I've made it to the next step. Don't you think? Like, maybe the food train is a little bit below me. I wouldn't have said it that way, right? I would have said it a lot better, like um, maybe something like, I just don't know that this is a good use of my wiring or gifting. I feel like I could serve really a lot better in this other area, right? And it made me think of this story of when I was in Columbia, there was, uh, I was on staff at a church for a few years, and every Monday we did this staff sync, and in the staff sync, basically what would happen is somebody would get up and they would kind of talk about their area of ministry. And they would say, "This is what's going on here. This is what's going on there." It's pretty customary. There wasn't anything that unique about it. And one week in particular, there was this woman named Laura who was over our children's ministry, and she got up and she started it a little bit differently than I'd ever heard anyone start it. She started by talking about our recovery ministry, which was a ministry we had for addiction and stuff that was just seemed unbeatable. And she was like, "I really love our recovery ministry." And I think that probably my giftings and wirings line up really well here. I think it's really cool what we're doing there. And then she started talking about our college ministry, which I was over, and she said, I really love our college ministry. I think my gifting and wiring would fit in well here. I really love what we're doing here. And then she did the same thing for three or four other ministries, and we're just listening to her, and I'm like, what, what is the point? Where are we going? And then she finally says, but I haven't been given our college ministry. That's not what God has given to me to be faithful with. God's given me our children's ministry. He's asked me to be faithful with that, regardless of maybe my gifting and my wiring, and maybe I could be better used here, better used there. This is what God has given me to be faithful with. And it really floored me because I realized I'd never, I'd really never asked that question. I'd only ever asked the question, how does my gifting and wiring fit in here? How can we best use my gifts? I never asked the question, how can the people around me best use what I can do? That wasn't primarily about me. And I'm so thankful that that's not how Stephen responded in this. Stephen didn't respond with this, but my gifting and wiring could probably be better served here. Because he realized the kingdom of God wasn't about him. It wasn't about his gifting and wirings primarily. It was about the kingdom and kingdoms expanding. The truth is, Stephen had to learn how to live for Christ before he could die for him. That's the reality. He had to live for Christ before we could die for him. And I I think us as as a generation and as a people could learn a lot from Stephen. I know that I can. Because absolutely, don't mishear me. Your gifting and wirings matter. And God has gifted you and wired you in unique ways. And he wants you to use those for the kingdom of God. We're doing a spiritual gift seminar in two weeks. Because we believe in that. And... As believers, we are called to serve in areas we are not passionate about. We are called to serve in areas that we are not necessarily gifted in, but have great need. And so we're going to step into those. The right question is not how am I gifted and wired. The right question is what do the people around me need and how can I step into that? And sometimes that will be in your giftings and wirings but at least in my experience, often it is an area that is not particularly exciting and no one will ever know that you did. Your life is not about you. My life is not about you. My life is not about me. And as believers, our lives are not about us. They are about the life of King Jesus. Our lives are about King Jesus. The Bible labors this point over and over and over again. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If you look at the lives of the apostles, I don't think any of them you can say they're really living for themselves. They're making the decisions that are best for them. Over and over again, the example given is people sacrifice a great deal for the expansion of the kingdom. They choose to have worse lives, they choose worse lots in life so that God can be glorified. That's the gospel. And so I started to ask the question, what does this look like for us? How can we in Charlotte, North Carolina, step into this? How can we step into great sacrifice? Maybe we all agree, okay, absolutely, I'm called to sacrifice. So what does that mean? And so I just thought about a few categories that I think we can ask questions in this area. So money, how does it look like for us to sacrifice our money? How does it look like for us to serve others with our money? It probably means you're going to have less money because of your relationship with Jesus. And I don't mean you're going to make less money. I mean you're going to give more away. So what that means is that you should be living a life that is marked by your generosity. And I'm not talking about the amount that you've committed to give to our church because you're a member. I'm talking about above and beyond that. I'm talking about people should look at your life and it should not make sense we should probably all be giving more than we're comfortable giving. That's how in Acts, when it says none of them had any need, that happened. It wasn't because Jesus just gave them everything, it was because people sacrificed. People were willing to have less so that they could fulfill the needs of others. Practically, what does this look like? It looks like you might have a smaller house because you give so much away. It might look like you let people stay with you for free In between seasons. It might look like you're at a job that you're not particularly passionate about because it allows you to build with people and to give in ways that help expand the kingdom of God. It might look like you don't get to buy those new golf clubs or that PS5. It might look like that. The point is, people should be able to look at us, our stage of life, if if me and you make the same amount of money and I'm a believer and you're not, you should just assume I make less because of how my life looks compared to yours. That's what it looks like to sacrifice our money. What does it look like to sacrifice our time? I think God's going to ask us to sacrifice our time. It means you will have less time for you because of your relationship with Jesus. You have less time for you because of your relationship with Jesus. Now, I totally understand that there's a wide variety of people in this room. There are people who are new moms, and there are people who are college students. So season of life is a real thing. Like, don't mishear me, I totally understand that if you're a college student, you're just gonna have more time than a new mom whose baby is crying all the time and they're never sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. But I think a good question is, when you compare your stage of life to someone else, the way that you spend your time, does it show you value the kingdom of God? Does your time look different than another new mom or another college student? Or is church just your hobby? right? I mean, that's not what we're being told to give. We're not told to have a new hobby. We're told to live a different life. We're told to put our life at the feet of Jesus. And so what that means is that we're probably going to have less nights a week for ourselves. There are probably going to be nights where we have to have people over even though we just want to watch WandaVision. And it's so good. It's so good. Not important. It means that we're going to show up and help people move on Saturdays, even though it's Saturday and it's Saturday, and it's Saturday, yeah, that, that, it means that we probably are going to have less time for our hobbies, right, so maybe, maybe Tim gets to golf once a month, I don't know, just a thought, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, no, but absolutely, or we leverage those hobbies, right, so not even that we don't do them, but we invite people into them, we invite people to play golf with us, we invite people to the country club, whatever the thing is, we use it for the kingdom, So that's what it looks like for us to leverage our time and relationships. What does it mean if God is calling us to use our relationships to leverage our relationships for the gospel? I think it means a lot of what Tim was talking about last week, that we're going to have to talk to people about Jesus, that it's going to be awkward sometimes. Uh, You will lose friends because of your relationship with Jesus. At least you probably should. Uh, we were talking about this in, in teaching team, this idea, and something that we kind of came across was this idea of, if you have been friends with someone for three months, or six months, or a year, and you've never had a conversation with them about Jesus, you've never talked about the fact that you're a Christian, the fact that they're going to hell if they're not a Christian, you probably need to Repent. Like, your application for this sermon is probably after we respond with singing, is to walk out, call somebody, and say, I'm selfish, I need to talk to you about Jesus. Like that, that's what it looks like, because it's not about us. It's not about our comfort, it's not about our fear of of man, it is about the expansion of God's kingdom. And again, that's the pattern we see in Acts, the people of God sacrifice greatly, and God blesses it over and over again, over and over again. Sacrifice is how God's people saw people added to them daily. They were willing to have those conversations. Sacrifice is how the gospel went from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That the enemies of God, the people that hated God, became Christians because people were willing to die to have conversations with them. Sacrifice is how we start a church plant in Charlotte. Because people are willing to leave better jobs and move to a city that they've never been to Because they care about the expansion of the kingdom. Over and over again, this idea is sacrifice. And sacrifice is a marker of believers. Sacrifice is something that is just true of us. It should be obvious in our lives that we are willing to sacrifice for King Jesus. Because the life of a Christian is not a life of notoriety. Uh, It's not something that just, oh, it's just better because you get to do it. In fact, based on all the worldly measures, your life will probably be worse If you are a Christian, and God will use that to bring dead people to life, He will use your sacrifice, He will bless it so that people come to know Him. Not everyone, not everyone you have a conversation with, but some. And that's the point. That is the point. Everything else is a vapor, it's a vapor in the wind, it doesn't last. You may not be called to be a martyr, but you are called to give your life. Number two, God is always sovereign. God is always sovereign. Let's go back to verse 55 because this, I think, really makes this point. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So this scene, right? Stephen's about to die. He's encircled by his persecutors. They're about to throw stones at his body until he's dead. And this scene for me is both so, it gives me so much peace and is so terrifying at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. I'm trying to put myself in Stephen's shoes and I I think I would be so afraid, right? Like I just can't imagine, like am I really about to die for this? Like I did the right thing. I did what I was supposed to do. These guys are really going to kill me? And then in the middle of all that, you see Jesus standing there at the right hand of God. And we talked about this idea. Tim, kinda, Tim and Walker hit me with this idea that, you know, this is the only time in the Gospels that he's standing. This is the only time he's standing by the right hand of God. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely the point. Um, but as I thought about it more, as I thought about it more, God kind of pushed into my pride a little bit. And I started to think about this idea of how I would feel if I was standing there afraid I was going to die. And then I see Jesus standing. And it, it, the Bible doesn't say that he says any words. But I can just imagine the look and the smile that he gave him that said, Good job, my good and faithful servant. You did it, you did everything you were supposed to do. I'm so proud of you. And I can just imagine, that just gives me so much peace to know that whenever I need him, he's there. Like God is there, he will be enough. And we know how the story ends. Jesus doesn't come down, he doesn't stop the accusers. He doesn't say, Good job, my good and faithful servant, so I'm going to get rid of these guys. Stephen dies, right? He dies for the gospel. God is always there, and his plans are not our plans. God is always there, and his plans are not our plans. You see, sacrifice will lead to suffering. It will. The life of a Christian will lead to suffering. It's one of the promises that Christ gives us. He says, They will hate you like they hated me, they will persecute you like they persecuted me. It's one of the many things Jesus tells us that we can believe to be true. Our lives are going to be worse. We're going to endure suffering for Jesus if we're doing what we're supposed to do, if we're living in the way that he has called us to be. And this is true both explicitly, we have verses that say this, but also just descriptively, right? If we look at the lives of the apostles, there aren't many of them that you can say, man, their life got better because they started following Jesus. I mean... Uh, 11 of them were killed and then one was exiled and then over and over again we see people in the bible whose lives are whether it be they are killed exiled beaten whatever the thing is over and over again people pay a great price because they are walking with Jesus God is always there and his plans are not our plans They knew they knew it wasn't about them, right? But they cared more about the expansion of the kingdom anyways. They knew they were going to endure great suffering, and they cared more about the advancing of the kingdom anyways. Let's keep reading. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, And made great lamentation over him. So we started with and Stephen, and the way the passage ends is and Saul. So, what Luke is telling us is and Saul is about to change the way the Christians lived and interacted with each other, with the world for the rest of time. So, how does God use these two men that are on total polar opposites to accomplish his kingdom? See, the act, of, the act the death of Stephen is the means by which God spreads out the church. We're about to start the greatest persecution that Christianity has ever seen in history right after the death of Stephen. People are going to flee all over the known world because they are afraid for their lives. And because of that, the gospel will be spread. People will talk to people about Jesus. We will see new churches start. We will see believers come to know God because Stephen was enough, because Stephen was faithful. And then we see Saul. This is the first time we hear of Saul, but he's going to go down the road to Damascus and God is going to change him and he's going to become the greatest missionary we've ever seen. He plants multiple churches and it started with the death of Stephen. It started with Stephen being faithful. That's where God starts to change Paul's heart. Stephen and Paul were faithful, and through their faithfulness, God used them to reach thousands of people. It's actually, for most of us, unless we are Jewish, we can probably pull back our lineage. The way we became Christians was because Stephen died and Paul lived. It it all traces back to them, because they were willing to sacrifice and then Paul eventually gets executed in Rome. He dies for the gospel as well. And his last words in 2 Timothy 4, through 7-8 go like this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up a crown for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on the day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So this is Paul right before he dies these are the last words that he ever spoke he says two or three more verses and i think paul is saying here i think stephen would say the same thing it was worth it it was worth it i chose to sacrifice and it was worth it i know that i was going to die or maybe i didn't but that's what happened and it was worth it and i think the question that we need to ask ourselves is if we knew that someone would become a Christian, that someone would not go to hell because of our actions, but it would cost us dearly, would we be willing to pay that price? Would we be willing to sacrifice if it meant people would come to know Jesus? Because that's our charge as believers. That's what we're called to do. Now, the freedom of the gospel is that we don't have to have this figured out that it's not about us, and it's never going to be about us. The freedom of the gospel is that all of us have ways where we are selfish with our time, with our money, and with our relationships, and God is faithful despite that. That God is okay with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not looking at you angrily. He's not saying, how are you not giving more to this? But instead, he loves you where you are, and he's working in you to make him look more like him. That's the freedom of the gospel, that we get to be where we are, but we don't have to stay there. That we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have the power to look more like Jesus every day. And so, this week, what what we want you to do, what we talked about as a church, is we want you to ask the question, what areas are you afraid of sacrificing in? What areas do you need to sacrifice in? We want you guys to talk in your community groups, and we want you to say to your community groups, where am I being selfish? Where am I not believing this? Where do I not actually think that Jesus is worth my sacrifice? Just let him tell you. And know that it is okay, that you are safe in the gospel, that it's not about your performance, and you were never able to do enough. And that's why Jesus did it for you. It's already been done. It is finished. And we are called by the grace of God, and we are given His Spirit so that we can change, so that we can live lives like Stephen and Paul. As I, uh, as I read about this sermon, something that people kept saying over and over and over again that I, I really didn't understand as I, as I started was Stephen wasn't particularly extraordinary, just an ordinary guy, wasn't a pastor, wasn't anything special about him, just an ordinary guy that was faithful. And I, I thought that was crazy because it's like, I don't know a lot of ordinary guys that, that are going to die for Jesus. And as I thought about it more, what I realized what they were saying is, Stephen was an ordinary guy with the Holy Spirit in him, and he was faithful. And because he was faithful, when the time came, he was willing to make that sacrifice because he had already started making sacrifices in his daily life. And so when the sacrifice of his life came up, it was just a natural overflow of his spirit to say, okay, because all I'm going to do is be faithful, and I think that is the charge for us. How can we be faithful today, this week, with our coworkers? Who do we need to invite over? What do we need to do? That's the question. We don't have to answer the question, are you willing to die for Jesus right now? That's not the question being asked of you. That's not the thing being put before you. The question being asked of you, are are you willing to be awkward and have a conversation with your coworker? Are you willing to invite someone over to dinner? Are you willing to fill in the blank? That's what it looks like to be faithful. That's where Stephen started. And through God's spirit, he got him to the point where he would say yes to the answer of, would you give your life? Absolutely. Let's pray. Hey, God. Thanks for who you are and that you are good, that it is finished, that we don't have to have it figured out, that we're allowed to be in process, that you're working in us despite us. Yeah, I think about Philippians often where you say, you have started a good work in us and you promise to bring it to completion. Thank you that that's true that you knew every way that I would fail, every way that I would be selfish on the cross, and you died for me and for us anyway. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.